What about, uh, wait, who was the player you sent me who was in his, uh, he was in the, uh, oh, in his car this week? Yeah, this is, this is, uh, good podcast content. Um, on Instagram, Yanko Tipsarevich. Oh, yeah. Serbian yeah. player who's been injured for the past year and a half, two years, I think. Staging he wears, a like, the Kareem goggles on the tennis court. Yeah. Um, posted a really funny video from yesterday driving convertible with the top down in Belgrade singing Dr. Dre. Wow. Dude, he's another one of these. I feel like the FIFA team, the team that FIFA sponsors, so chill. I would love, basically everyone who's sponsored by FIFA right now, you've got Chilich, Tipsarovic. You're talking about Fila or FIFA? <laughs> so, Fila, sorry, Fila. We're talking Fila. We got Tipsarovic. Uh, Chilich. Chilich. Who else? There's someone else, too. Uh... Diego Schwartzman. Is Schwartzman Fila? I feel like yeah. Fila is like a, you're not trying to look that great, but you're just trying to wear tennis clothes. <laughs> I think so. Like, they've got the classic, like, the sort of Borg Fila kit, which is sick. But the, uh, wait, there's one other, one other tall, there's like a group of like six, six guys that are all sponsored by Fila. Not Chilich. Uh, is it Chilich? It's is, Chilich isn't and there's one is, other. Isner back with Fila? Oh, yeah, Isner. Isner back with Fila. It's never like, definitely be with Fila. You know, so many tennis brands now, they've, in the last couple of years, they've moved away from classic looking tennis clothes to, I don't know, more trendy things. Fila is pretty, has, you know, stayed down the line pretty. Yeah, they tried to push the envelope Fila's, a little bit this year with the green accent, but. Like, so, uh, Fila's like K-Swiss. Yeah, it's, it's like, it's Don't like a little more sporty than K-Swiss. But all right, we'll keep. We're gonna keep coming with uh, who's who's got the good pints in future episodes. Um, Wait, real quick though, we should do who would be a bad pint. All right, who's who is a bad pint? I think I Alex feel like Sparrow. Yeah, Alexander Sparrow. <laughs> first, yeah. first, I feel like he's he's spent enough time in the U.S. where like since he's not 21, is he 21 yet? He's 21. He's just eight. He's also 21, so he can't play next gen anymore. He so aged he, I think he qualifies for next gen this year though, but he's very he's not gonna play. For, sorry, for anyone listening who doesn't know what Next Gen is, um, Alex, you want to give a quick yeah? I think we're going to talk about Next Gen at the end of the pod, so let's we're going to wait. Let's wait for it for a second. Okay. But I think in terms of, uh, I feel like he's still going to be like overly enthusiastic about the fact that he can drink now, um, <laughs> even though he probably started drinking in Russia <laughs> at age like ten. But he, uh, so he's overly enthusiastic about the fact that he can drink, and also I feel like if you, especially as an American, you go out with him, he's going to be like trying really hard to talk about hip hop. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Like maybe like kind of talking about how much he loves uh I feel like like fifty cent. Uh maybe he's really into Drake. But anyways, we're uh we're fans of Zverev, so I don't wanna <laughs> I don't wanna throw too much shade. Um all right. Let's get into uh I Oh guess- real 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 quick, just a, a point on Zverev. This is okay. really funny. When Alex, Brett, and I were watching Zverev Cole Schreiber, US Open match. Alex particularly was getting super hyped and he kept clapping and yelling, let's go Sasha, because <laughs> that's his, that's his Russian nickname. Everyone calls him Sasha. He even calls himself Sasha. Even the pros call him, like, the like, pros the, call him like Sasha. Like Brad Gilbert calls him Sasha. And this was a match where the, the crowd was just so flat. So we were the only ones yelling. <laughs> Whenever Alex would cheer, it was just him. This is voice resonating throughout Armstrong Stadium. And this family in front of us, kept kind of looking over and smiling and they keep looking over a couple games pass uh alex continues and at one point they look over they go is that his name and, and i go like, yes. who's, who's sasha who's sasha <laughs> yeah they go who's sasha and i go yes 
It's his Russian name, and I think they thought we were his family. Um, yeah, so hey. That's pretty funny. Uh, I do, the one thing that I give him credit for, though, is he, he does have a photo on Instagram of him and Dwayne Wade with a, uh, a Miami Zverev shirt, uh, jersey. Oh, yeah, I any, saw that. Pretty good. Any tennis player that's into basketball I, has, like, a warm place in my heart. I think um, another poor pint would be Pass. Dude, I kind of like Pass. I think he'd be pretty lame. He'd be, like, flat, but I feel like... Like, if more people were around, he'd be, like, a solid pint with other people around. He'd have, like, occasionally, like, a good dry comment. And I feel like if it ever got heated with other people, he'd be down to, like, uh, like he, he's a big dude. I feel like he'd be down to back you up if you ever, like, kind of got too big for your britches. Wait, haven't you seen the video of him, like, uh, him sort of, like, pushing out of a fight with, like, Medvedev? <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> yeah, he's, he's really skinny. I, it's like, I don't... I wouldn't want him backing me up. It's like he uh, he lost he lost that he lost a Medvedev and then like as he's walking like towards his bags he just says Russian something and Medvedev just goes like what what do you say you want to oh. fight let's go and then he says to the umpire well, what's his problem he he wants to speak he doesn't want to fight and then Sitsipas just like slinks off the court. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, he's six four one eighty seven I think I like his, his our odds but all right let's move uh let's move on. Let's return. Let's re. I guess from digression to uh, the opposite of digression. Another another digression. Okay. More digression. <laughs> um, we started off this segment by talking about the Facebook chat that we had during the the match. So Alex, you actually started watching the final a few minutes late because you were driving home, and I think you were listening to the match on American Special Radio. Mm-hmm. Can you uh, give us an example of what that commentary sounded like? It just—it basically <laughs> sounds like when you hear boxing recordings from like the 1930s. Like it's like so and so threw a left, then a right. But it's like uh, I don't know who they have on the announcing, but it's just it, tennis is too fast for the American Express, and then it kind of would lag a little bit. But it would just be like, uh, "Don't poach with the forehand, uh, Djokovic with the backhand, don't poach back with the forehand," and just kind of keep going. So it was, uh, I really had no idea what was going on, but I could sort of know the score. Not um, by no means the best way to keep track of tennis. I don't know. <laughs> radio tennis, yeah. Uh, but dude, hey, radio tennis—a a sort of dying culture that we need to uh, we need to preserve. At any um, rate, shout out American Express. All right, shout out American Express. Appreciate you guys uh, throwing us some points. Uh, if you guys use an American Express, uh, if you use the code Cheeky, uh, you'll get discounts. Um, all right, so. We did the GOAT discussion. Let's finish uh, the kind of end of the year men's like matches to come and just kind of, I think at the end of every tennis season, all tennis fans start critiquing the schedule. It's like you have to do it. You have to start at the end of the year just complaining about how there's something wrong with the ATP schedule. Right. So, Kabir, can you lead us off with kind of what's to look forward to in terms of major tournaments and then also what the heck is wrong with the schedule? Yeah, so definitely something that's been talked about for so long of, you know, so tennis is definitely 
the main sport, if not the only sport, that genuinely there is no off-season. The year starts in January and it ends in effectively November, December. So any theoretical off-season effectively starts at the end of the Grand Slam. So we just finished U.S. Open. So if you're going to have an off-season, it's between now and January when you have the Australian Open. But there's still a couple of Masters. So can you really take time off and train? Not really. So there's no there's no off-season. And the, the, I guess the, the, the consistent critique from the players is that you know, matches are getting longer, matches are getting more physical, the calendar's not slowing down. You know, you can't really skip matches if you're a top player. You have an obligation to play those. Um, so you're more prone to injury. Maybe you're not really um, hitting your prime or top, like, peak performance. And it I mean, I think once you're, a, once you're a top player, kind of these end-of-the-year matches, like, it's... Like I think that when you look at statistics with these top players, you look at their their head-to-heads at Grand Slams because some of these yeah. matches, I feel like you don't know where Federer's head is. It doesn't really matter. But you, even though some of these tournaments between now and the, end of the year, other than the Masters, and even the Masters between now and the, end of the year, I'd say Rolex and Paris, even though they're great tournaments, are probably not the most popular ones. So what uh, is sorry, Kapir? Can you just explain what the Masters is? What that actually means? Right. So the kind of hierarchy of tennis tournaments. So the most Prestigious tournaments are your four Grand Slams, Australian, French, Wimbledon, U.S. Open. Um, how many points are those? 2,000 for a Grand Slam? Asher? Uh, 2,000, yeah. 2,000 for a Grand Slam. The next tier below that, uh, it's called ATP Masters 1,000, where you get 1,000 points if you win. There are nine Masters. And then at the end of the year, there is a 10th Master, which is only the top eight players of the current year. It's kind of a round-robin format. We can talk, we'll get to that in a, in a few minutes. It's the last tournament of the year. So those are the Masters tournaments. They're meant to be tournaments that prepare you for the Slam. So before, um, well, to some extent, there's no Masters before the Australian Open, but after Australian Open, you have two uh, U- U.S. hardcore Masters, um, no grass court master. maybe there should be one. Um, but those are Masters tournaments. And below that, you have 500 tournaments, or you get 500 points, and you have 250 tournaments. Um, I think that's pretty much it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we should, we, should, we should add that um, the Masters tournaments are actually compulsory. So eight, eight of the nine uh, on the ATP Tour, you, you have to play. Yeah, you have to play. You, 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 I think you, you have to pay if you don't. Yeah. Uh, I think when, when you get like Federer or like Nadal's um, sort of level of service, then they let you take like one or two off. But yeah. for everyone else on the tour, they have to they have to pretty much play all of them. So just looking forward to October, first tournament in October we have is China Open, Beijing. Um, big they commented first. on our Instagram. Oh, they did. They commented on two posts actually. Um, then you have <laughs> then you have the Rakuten Japan Open. Those are both 500. Um, and then starting October 7th is Shanghai Masters for a thousand. That's a indoor tournament. Which is a that's like a tournament that I really want to go to. That tournament yeah, it's, it's is a great so tournament. Uh, I, I think the I just feel like they should I feel like they should have the Masters earlier, like all the one thousands get them out of the way before the U.S. Open, and then it should be U.S. Open London Masters. And then and then you have an official off season three months and off. An official off season because the London the London Masters is a a great idea. It's basically like saying the top what they take how many players do they take again? Eight. So they take the top eight dude, players. That dude, that tournament. I feel like in the last couple of years, specifically the last three, maybe four years, the players should just 
they're totally gassed by the time they play that tournament. But I think I think if it if it's like the season ends with the London Masters, it can become and it's almost like a, some kind of championship. Yeah, it can be. Uh, I feel like the their approach psychologically will be different. And it'll be really intense. I think the sort of like I think psychologically having it be a tournament after a number of other tournaments is is like just too much. It's it's pretty yeah. like there's no other sport that I think is that long. One point, um, maybe a goal for next year. So October, around October 20, 2019, maybe we do a Cheeky Volley broadcast of the Swiss Indoors in Basel. <laughs> Dude, that would be the dream. Yeah. <laughs> um, very nice. Okay, and then, so what about Next Gen? Does someone want to profile what's going on with the Next Gen Milan? Because that's kind of a new thing, right? Alex, I feel like you follow Next Gen the closest of any Dude, I, forget, I, I just love the idea of it, but I don't even, I really don't follow it that much. All I know is it's, they take the top, the top uh, all players under 21, right? They do, yeah. It's top everyone who's under 21 and best singles players, and they play. I think this, the format is pretty similar to the Masters, and they play in Milan, which is, like, just a great city. That's where Virgil Abloh's uh, all his clothes are made. But the difference um, is, and Alex, I don't know if you know this, but the difference between next-gen and ATP Masters is next-gen, they don't play the same game structure. It's, it's an abbreviated match. So how, how long are the matches? I think it's um, I'm trying to see. Is it? Wait, it's it's best of five, uh, first of four. Yeah, that's what it is. So a set is first of four games, and you play. Is it best of five, Asher? Best of five. Uh, yeah, four? yeah, best of five. Yeah. So I don't know. I think wait, it's best of five sets are to four. Yeah, yeah. and I think yeah. From what sure, no less. This is totally like some Ma- like Mac and Rose think tank. Yeah, this yeah, is yeah, like so what he always talks about this stuff. I think it's also no no linesman. No linesman to maybe gauge how well this is received by the players and the fans and see if maybe there should be a structural change in tennis rules. I'm against it. Kabir's a traditionalist, hence he's a huge fe- hence he's, he's <laughs> hardcore on the Fetter bandwagon goat discussion. I mean, do you want to see Grand Slam finals being best? No, 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 games? I completely agree. I, uh, you're going to have all <laughs> matches are going to be one hour, 25 minutes, done. I it's it's like, also no ad scoring. Yeah, I mean, that's... Which, I think the point of the five-setter is it's a marathon, and if you, like, even if you change Grand Slams to three sets, you get, I think, okay, if if men's Grand Slams were three sets, I think someone like Roddick would have, like, three more titles. Yeah. It's just, yeah. like, a different game. It's, like, faster. Um, I, I think it's absurd that the women aren't playing five sets yet, and it's, like, a, a kind of one of the, in, in, in terms of sports, I think it's one of the biggest vestiges of, like, Patriarch, patriarch yeah, makes we, no we, sense. Yeah, yeah, we, we hinted on that in the past episode too. That maybe that's maybe that's something, um, and whatever all, all the issues that happened in the women's final maybe wouldn't have been issues if it was a longer match. If it was a five sets, those things yeah. would have been a bit more subtle. So maybe maybe that's a question for the WTA tour in twenty. Yeah, and, and play, I, I think you would get see, three all too. I think you would see more variety in the women's game if the matches were longer. Like Suarez Navarro would have more wins, I think, probably. Yeah, someone that's more dynamic like that, as, as opposed to just pounding ground strokes. Yeah, one the point, five setter is kind of like uh, it definitely. It, I think it helps for the counter puncher. And like when you just like exchange slice backhands, you, you'll see that with some of the men's players, like middle of the fourth set, they'll just mm-hmm. hit like twenty slice backhands back and forth to each other, mm-hmm. and. It's almost like they're 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 not taking a break, but they're just like who is gonna hit the better slice backhand. But I I think that uh, 
I think if every year the Masters was the one tournament that was some kind of like new format, or, or it, I don't think they should change it every year, but if they at the Masters was a different format, like I think they're saying in next gen they play tie breaks at three three. Like I think for that, especially because players are exhausted from the year, like I think that would be fine if it keeps the intensity up. I think the the Grand Slams you should preserve the game, like preserve the way tennis is. But I think at the Masters they could do something interesting. Um, but, but I think so the whole point about about the Masters. So, so the finals of Masters used to be best of five sets. Uh huh. And they stopped doing that. Um, yeah, we, we had some we had some classic matches in those. Yeah, I remember 2006, 2007, Rome, Monte Carlo, five setters both yeah, times. Federer, Federer, Nadal, Miami, 2005, Federer oh, came back course, from yeah. from two sets down. So that was a big match. Yeah, I would, I would, I'm, I'm for that. I can see why players aren't for it, but I'm, I'm definitely. I, I feel so. Masters, okay, at least the clay court Masters, Rome, Monte Carlo, you know, those are. Um, intended to really prep you for the French Open, maybe the finals of those should be best of five, or is that just too exhausting going to the going to a slam? Well, I think the issue is that like Rome and Madrid are back to back now, so yeah. the guys who are playing like the five set at the end of uh, at the end of Madrid, they're not they're not going to be uh, they're not going to be too keen on like going to Rome and then like sweating yeah. it out there. Think, the second point, I think that all the the Masters tournaments, the format should be decided by the players. That's what I think. Yeah. One interesting point, though, on best of five sets. So this year at the U.S. Open, obviously with the Heat, um, there's an Argentine player, Leonardo Meyer. He's mm-hmm. a really solid player. He ended up retiring in a match, and in his press conference was really vocal about the Heat. And he basically said, only when someone dies on the court are we going to stop playing five sets. So hinting at you know the idea that five sets as it is is too much. I don't know. know. Is is, is that an argument that's had traction with the players, or is this an isolated event? I can't speak to that, but I I do think we have a lot of data and no one's died. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) There's a lot of data out there. There's a lot of five-set matches that have been played, and as far as I know, no one's died. I think like John John Wertheim, like he's been on a crusade like last few years saying that uh, the first week of Grand Slam should be best of three and then keep best of five second week. Ah, it's interesting. Uh, it, sounds, it sounds okay. It sounds okay in in theory, but I don't, I don't think that like the best of five is like causing the injuries. I just yeah. think that like it's just the the length of season and the fact that tournaments are on these like slow hard courts now. They just like uh, put in so much wear and tear on the bodies. I think that for me that that's the main reason. And they need to. The physical. And I also think I think yeah. one, one thing with tennis is I think international travel is uh, is pretty unique to tennis. And yeah. I think international travel is, is pretty hard on your body. Consistent international travel, the way tennis players have to travel. And yeah. so I think by making the season longer, you kind of you, you make that. Uh, well, I guess there's an argument you made on both sides. I, I think lo- international travel back to back is probably worse for your body than spreading it out. But I, I think international travel and this discussion about the calendar is a really good transition into Davis Cup. Yeah. So let's go Davis Cup. I think the Davis Cup is like. It's such a it, it could it's like basically essentially the World Cup of tennis, right? It's well it intended to be, yeah. So yeah, in theory, yes. In practice, Davis Cup I think is probably the least watched. Yeah, least watched least. in a lot of the lot different countries. A lot of the players don't play. Like can, the U.S. the USA's lineup this year for Davis Cup is just I think it's pretty pathetic. Although <laughs> good, guys, good good win for Query though, beating Chilich in four sets. That's a huge win. And this is oh this is the Carlos 
Carlos Ramos nod. Chilich smashed his racket. Carlos Ramos gave him a warning. Oh, right. Um, <laughs> but so, uh, but the the USA, it's, it's Chilich and then Tiafo at two, which is sick. I appreciate that. But then Ryan Harrison and who was the who was the fourth? Steve Johnson. Oh, and Steve Johnson. So Isner doesn't come out. Um, no, uh, who else? Jack Sock didn't come out this year. So I feel like that's kind of a tough. But yeah. like, how did they decide the Davis Cup team? Um, so I guess one, it's, you know, availability to play. And then, yeah, I don't know. I think, um, Courier as the Davis cup coach. I, yeah, I don't know if it's unilateral or if it's on the behalf of USTA, but I, I wanted, I would be curious to ask, been thinking about asking you guys this. So Davis cup, do the players really care that much about playing for their country in this tournament? No, I, think, I feel like there's a well. Asher, you go, you go. Yeah, I think I think yes until they win, and then just like a hard no. Okay, so <laughs> yeah, it's once, win it once, and then you're done with it. I think that with Davis yeah, Cup. Sorry, Asher, you go, you go. You know, I was just gonna say yeah. Like sometimes they'll play depending on how many matches they play. Like throughout the year, like Rafa was still playing. I think he intended to play like the last couple of years, but he's taking like many years off. Roger started taking many years off. So then, like, until they win, they're, like, pretty committed. And then after that, they just, like, uh, it depends on how they're feeling pretty much. I think I think tennis is sort of like the uh, – it's like the ADD kid who's, who's trying to do too many things. I feel like Davis Cup should be incorporated into the Masters or, like, some other, like, tournament infrastructure that already exists and then have some way to make it, like, about a uh, country or whatever. Because I think it's it's interesting and then, like – they, it seems, especially with like like team tennis, is a part of tennis that is like really big until you get to the pro tour, and then it's not part of it at all. And I think oh, like yeah. the Davis Cup format you have for the juniors, like in the U.S. there's zonals, which is big, and in, in Europe I think they have like a similar equivalent for uh, playing for your country. Um, yeah, in zonals you got points for that. Yeah, and you get you get points for the for what Brett? How does it work? So you they, they originally took. The top 10 guys and girls in the 12 and unders, 14 and unders, 16 and unders, and they took the top, like, six or eight. It kind of cut it down, but they treated it like national open points. Like, you got – it was, like, a level three. Mm-hmm. And it was awesome. Like, you were playing for your region, and um, you'd – a similar lineup to college tennis. You play – four singles and then there's uh three doubles matches that go out mm-hmm. and it was a, t- a ton of fun uh, it was great and you got points for it so if they just loop that into the incentive part of it with the points yeah the players will play yeah that's i that, i agree with that the other thing yeah. it does uh today like us the usa playing croatia did remind me uh how good Croatian tennis is so shout out to the Croatian Tennis Association. Yeah, they've got Chilich and Chorich, which I think is like pretty solid one-two oh, punch. Yeah. And and then wasn't uh what Gorni Vanisevic and Lubicic were both Croatian? Lubicic, yeah, Lubicic was yeah. awesome. Those guys were both so good. Oh, and Antic too, right? Come here. Yeah, Antic too. You know the, the thing that I find interesting about Davis Cup is the, the thing that's just a bit strange to me is I think. The whole idea of you know playing playing for your flag. I feel like tennis in in its open era, so fifty or fifty years, has been it's always been a global sport. 
players are always traveling. Like you said, I mean, it's it's the most travel-intensive sport. Um, I feel like maybe it's, it's never been a sport rooted in just one region. It's been like a truly global sport, so maybe it's kind of transcended nationalism. Mm-hmm. Um, I think maybe when you, when you play, when you have these you know, country-specific tournaments, whereas it might be more popular in, you know, in rugby or in um, European football, it just doesn't really translate the same way to tennis. And is it is it because tennis is individualistic, more individualistic, and it's never been a sport that's only popular in one region or has more for following one region, or is it just because top players don't play Davis Cup, um, and you know, it, for that reason, it's just not as popular? Yeah, uh, I. I I'll give I'll give it like a couple of like pro Davis Cup uh, Cup arguments like the players that do end up playing, including the big guys. I mean, they all do get like super emotional. Yeah. Um, they and they always really... mention it. I feel like in like they always mention like blah 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 in Davis Cup. Yeah, there's like like Federer always talks about his loss to Hewitt in Davis Cup as like the worst loss of his career until oh. like the Rafa Wimbledon away. There's like a match with like Guillermo Correa and like Leighton Hewitt in which they're just like yelling at each other. Yeah. <laughs> And uh, just like the the crowds, uh, the crowds you get in the Davis Cup matches are like nothing else uh, you get in tennis. Like they're insane. The thing that bothers me about Davis Cup matches, I'm pro Davis Cup though. But the thing that I always find annoying is so many times you see Davis Cup matches played on they're they're played in arenas that aren't tennis arenas, and they're just kind of makeshift. Like they they just make a tennis court. I like, dude. I feel like it gives a very Cold War vibe to the whole thing. <laughs> yeah, I I think that's what Davis Cup's all about. Yeah, it's, it is Davis Cup. It should just be called the Cold War Cup. <laughs> the Cold War Cup. Even happens in whenever the U.S. plays on home soil in the U.S. They play in like an NBA arena where they're you know they're rolling out the hard court and it just it's dark in there. It doesn't show well up on doesn't show uh, appear well on TV. I don't know. Something about it throws me off. I am pro Davis Cup. A thought I had is maybe this. This one thing I thought maybe to make Davis Cup more accessible and make it make more sense to players. So right now, U.S. Open ended. Ten days later, you have Davis Cup semifinals. It's a bit. It's a lot to ask players like Federer, Djokovic, Nadal, Del Potro, Murray, Chilich. You know, quickly travel, reset. You've just won a Slam. You've just gotten the quarters, semis. Now play Davis Cup in. You know Slovakia. No, see, I think it should be before tournaments. I think it should be like, like essentially how the Masters tournaments work. I think if it was before the each Slam as like a a really serious warm up tournament, then people would really care. Or it's just right after the Slam at the same venue. Yeah, but I feel like people then are over it. No, I don't know. I mean, just to say, imagine you had Davis Cup semifinals at, you know, Arthur Ashe Stadium. I mean, it's not on home soil, but you're. I don't know. It's it's just some. I yeah. try to think of ways there's, where you get more players to actually commit to it and play, and it's maybe more accessible. But yeah, there's definitely some creative thinking that we're going to be doing with some of that startup funding we're getting. Yeah, ATP <laughs> consulting us out. All right, guys, yeah, we're yeah, I, yeah. Up. To finish it up, let's go uh, right now. Ending the year, who are the best four men in the world? I think the best four right now are the ones who rank top four. So Nadal, Federer, Djokovic, Sopotro. Wait, is uh, is Zverev five now? Is Zverev out of the top four? Is he six, maybe? Uh, what are the rankings? 
while we're looking at the rankings, there's one point about Davis Cup. Yeah, he's, he's, no, Zverev's five, Zverev's five. So you, you take Nadal, Federer, Djokovic, Del Potro, Zverev. Okay. Yeah. Anyone else have any disagreements with that? I, I, think so. I take Federer out. I'm like on a weird uh, sort weird. of a, a weird uh, tear against Federer. I take Federer out and I throw in Chilich. So you're you're a Bernardo supporter. You want to you throw Nadal, Nadal, Chilich, Djokovic. No, I honestly think it's Nadal, Djokovic, Del Potro, and then either Federer, Zverev, or Chilich, or maybe even Team. Like I think I don't know why Team. I think the way Team played, he's definitely top four. Yeah, that was some lights out tennis. You know, I think Asher. Any, I hear Asher kind of groaning over there. Any thoughts? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> no, like uh, like Roger, I think if if the surface is right, um, he's either going to win or get to the final. I mean, this year, this year, as in he, he hasn't done well recently, but it's, it's still been a pretty good year. He won he won in Australia. He got to the final of Indian Wells, final of Cincinnati, uh, won Rotterdam, won Stuttgart, final of Halle in Wimbledon. He had like match point against Kevin Anderson. So like he, on a fast he, court, he didn't win Halle. He lost to George in the final. Oh right, yeah. Or uh, all right. Um, so last four or top four men, we got that going on. Any thoughts to the best match of the year? Well, I think like, I think Nadal, Nadal is involved in the top three. So yeah, he had, definitely. he had a, he had a couple, couple of like unbelievable ones at like Wimbledon, uh, again, that Del Porco fifth set. I mean, that was a joke. And then the Djokovic semifinal, that, that third set is like the best tennis maybe I've ever seen. Wait, the, so then, the Del Potro fifth set is where? Uh, at Wimbledon, Wimbledon. And that is, that's, uh, what round? Um, uh, quarters, quarters, quarters. The quarters. Okay, so that's you think that's one of the matches of the year. What was the other one you said? Yeah, uh, I think the Djokovic semi at Wimbledon. That's probably uh, that. I would say that's that's the best match of the year. That's uh, that, maybe, that's some of the highest quality tennis I've ever seen. Yeah, for sure. That that third set that went to a tiebreak that was insane. And the and then did it, it ended ten eight, right? Did it end ten eight? Yeah, they, they played three sets the first day, and then they played two sets the second day, and then it ended 10-8. And the roof was also closed, so it was very, um... Yo, Kabir is our, he is the roof, of, he's our roof guy. <laughs> yeah, big on infrastructure. I'm, like, <laughs> I'm definitely... Kabir, yeah. machine learning, infrastructure, ru- or roughing, as they say in the Midwest, Midwest <laughs> roughing specialist. So I'm against the Arthur Ashe roof, but the Wimbledon center court roof, they absolutely smashed it. And when they close it, there's... Also, some- also an Anglophile. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, All right. Another and, way, we're forgetting, though. What uh, up? Anderson, Isner, Wimbledon. Oh, yeah. Yeah, but my only issue with... That's like a classic Isner five-setter, right? No, yeah. no. That was, that was a great match. I mean, the, Isner... I feel like Isner is like using Kirby in Super Smash Bros. <laughs> oh, totally. Yeah, totally. <laughs> so, I say Team Nadal up there, Nadal, Delpo up there, and I'm giving Chilich Dimenauer because yes. that of that so- lineup... 2.30 in the morning. He's also being coached by Leighton Hewitt. He's 152-pound sopping wet. And Shillich, <laughs> I mean, he was up, I think, 5-2 or, like, pretty big in that fifth set. Yeah. Came back from two sets down. Um, just and it was intergenerational. It was this there. gen, next gen. Uh, I'd also like to just point out to the listeners that for, for for cheeky volley guys to to, to speak that highly of An- Alex Dimonor, who's basically the the antidote to Nikirios, yeah. is like pretty high praise. Yeah, 
Um, the last thing I'll say is uh, I think the the Anderson Isner match. I don't think you can have a more fair matchup. Like I feel like it's like if you're playing FIFA and you're trying to get like the most fair matchup on uh, on like some video game, it's literally they were eight, like the eight nine seed. Basically, both are doing the same. I mean, I think Anderson's game is a little more dynamic than Isner's, but still, both of them are like not gonna not neither of them are gonna get broken and then it's just hold serve and it, it just it was hold serve go to uh either there was one set with a break or i guess the, the final two sets had a break because the fifth set has to um and then it was all just uh go to tiebreakers quality yeah. match though really high quality dude quality but i feel like that's one where if i like if i had a ticket to that match or the nadal joker match i'm definitely taking a doll joker yeah no no no, no doubt no doubt um, one quick, I have a question for you guys. Let's just take a quick trip to the stats corner. Um, All right, stats corner. Wait, and we're going to finish with the 2019 Kyrgios corner. Yeah, so a couple stats here. So for this year so far, top five first, highest first serve percentage. Who are you putting as a uh, top three? Who do you think has the highest first serve percentage this year on tour? Nadal. Nadal for sure. Nadal's normally up there, no? All right, so you have Isner, number one, 70.2%. 70, 70, 70. Karlovich, 65.5%. Raonic, 63%. Federer at four. Anderson, five. Nadal is at nine. Really? Yeah. Interesting. For, is that because he's going bigger? Or what's the what's the any any kind of thought as to why that is? Uh, I don't know. I mean, I, I... Moya has been strong arming him to play more physical. Yeah, a bit. Yeah, but I mean, Nadal, even you saw that when they had him at the beginning of that, uh, the beginning of the uh, what was that match where he was coming, starting clo- uh, the team match where they had him starting like up at the service line. It was just yeah. Weird. You do you do you have Nadal a number number one for returns. So he's he's uh, he returns thirty four point six percent of uh, first serves and he's he breaks forty four percent of the time. Number two, Swartz who has the most 40%. who has the most breaks? Most breaks is Nadal. He has the most breaks on the tour, or the highest percentage of breaks? Yeah, so highest percentage of breaks, Nadal, Schwartzman, Djokovic, Chung, Goffin. Dude, Chung and Schwartzman getting in there is very cheeky. <laughs> and then also, you have uh, under pressure rating. So ATP World Tour, I don't know I don't know what the metric is for this. We might need to uh, have Asher do some digging on this. But <laughs> according to the under pressure standing, Taro Daniel at number one. Wait, what is the under pressure standing? Uh, so it's... Let's see. It's break points converted, break points saved, tie breaks one, deciding sets one. Dude, Kabir, that is the Corey Hubbard stat, which we'll explain <laughs> yeah. at a later date. Right? That yeah, is, but, but that's a great stat. Yeah, it's pretty good. Yeah. Shout out to the Japanese, because yeah. uh, I think during the U.S. Open, someone mentioned that like Nishikori has the best record ever in matches that go to like three sets or five sets. Is that it? Anyone else for closing remarks? Nothing? Uh, I, um, I have a, a live update from Nick Kyrgios. All right, what's the update? Fresh <laughs> off his Instagram posts, quotations, I think we need to learn to take care of each other better. I think people have lost human kindness. We're all in this together, really. Nobody better than anyone else. Wait, what I just think... That? He's um, he's in an interesting place right now. He has a lot of posts about his girlfriend, Isla Tomovich. Um, 
I don't know. Just just interesting Instagram post from Curious. Interesting. He usually doesn't get that deep on his Instagram, so. Alright, he also he wears a chill necklace too. Um all right, mates, we're gonna finish it there. Asher, Brett, thank you for coming on. You guys will be on in the future. All right. All right, All right mate, mates. Peace, mates. Look, I found her. Damn. Red coat. Look, I found her. Look, I found her. Red coat. Look, I found her. I found her. Damn. Red coat. Look, I found her.